This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 96, with illustrating artist Chantel Martin. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio, soon to be Neon Radio. That's right. If you've been listening to the last few episodes, I've been talking about the name change that's happening with the podcast here coming up on the 100th episode, which I'm very excited to have gone two years and 100 episodes coming up. So stay tuned with that as we will be bringing you even more inspiring guests and helping you take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. So I'm very excited about today's guest, Chantel Martin, and I've been wanting to get her on the show for quite a while now. And we were finally able to make it happen when she was in New York a couple of weeks ago doing a few projects. Chantel is an amazing artist. I actually met her at Summit Series last year, and she has a very distinct style. You've probably seen her work all over murals, all over walls, all over different places. She draws on everything. That's kind of her mantra in her art and her style. She gets commissioned all over the place to do installations. She gets commissioned to speak and teach. One of the things I love about Chantel's work is that it's very thought-driven, very thought-provoking, and she really causes people to think about who they are. And that's her message is is UBU, and she's all about helping people discover who they are within that process. Chantel has a bunch of great quotes in this episode, a lot of which we will have linked up in the show notes at shoptalkradio.com slash EP96. On this episode, we talk about Chantel's upbringing, how she got started in art and a lot of her creative process. We talk about her time she spent in Tokyo, which was very formative years where she spent actually doing live art and how that translated and transpired into what she's doing now. We talk about why you have to believe in your art to go forward. We talk about how to make money with your art and also the importance of hiring the right people and having the right contracts in place. We also talk about why you shouldn't wait for anyone or anything in your art. So all this and much, much more. And don't forget, guys, if you're being inspired and getting value out of these podcasts with these amazing guests that are coming on the show, I'd love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review over on iTunes, sharing the episodes out, because it really helps get the word out and share this with even more people, and I can keep bringing better guests to you guys. So without further ado, I bring you the one, the only, Chantel Martin. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the show. And we've got the amazing illustrator and artist Chantel Martin. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. I've been excited to have you on the show because I love your art. I love what you're up to. But also, I I saw you speak at Summit and, and that was like the first time I see you speak and you're very... I love the way you speak about your process and, and your story and how you, um, how you create your art and how much you are about sharing. So, but like, let's, let's kind of jump back a little bit and, and start with your story. How did you, um, get into art and, and drawing and, and, you know, now you're in New York city, but let's rewind and kind of get a little backstory. Well, you just jumped right in there. So I think first I have to get used to you being really close to me, but sounding really far away, (laughs) studio experience. But, um, you know, I I think about this a lot more, I guess, now than I did before, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of what has come before and and how you got here and why you got here and, 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 you know, kind of how it all started. And, and I recently, I found some, I guess, old photography of, of some of my older work. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, that, you know, maybe that person was really lost and, helpless and not in a good place because Mm -hmm. the work is 
is uh, it's very dark and it's uh, asking for help in many different ways. Mm. And the way that I started to to write or to draw, I don't know if there was a point where I, I made a conscious decision, but it was a way that I naturally dealt with the environment that I was in. Mm. You know, it was I had a, a need or an urge to get stuff out, and it was apparently in my DNA or my blood that that's naturally how I did it. I would write, I would draw. Um, and that would make me feel better. Yeah, yeah. And you're from you're from England. Yep, I'm from England. I'm from a lovely place called Thamesmead in southeast London. <sighs> I'm sure you haven't been there. No, I haven't. I've been to Brighton. I've been to London, <laughs> but I don't think I've been there. Yeah, it's you know Thamesmead is technically in London, but it's southeast. It's like a zone four. Yeah, yeah. How how was your upbringing, and what was that like, and how did that influence your art? Yeah, you know so. You know, I don't know how it influenced my art, but as an, you know, my upbringing definitely influenced me as an individual, mm-hmm. uh, as it does all of us in some ways. You know, I, I grew up, like I said, in Thamesmead, which, you know, it's changing now, but it's predominantly, you know, white, working class, racist, homophobic, uh, all those good things that come of, come come with that. And you know, I grew up there, brown with an afro, and mm-hmm. the eldest of six kids, and. Uh, my brothers and sisters are all blonde and blue-eyed. So, you That's know, crazy. so instantly I wasn't like anyone else and instantly I stuck out and, and instantly I was different without even trying. And, you know, in a way I look back and I see that, oh, that was my first passport, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't fit in and no one pressured me to fit in so I could be different mm. and I could do art and I could draw and I could uh, explore um the idea of getting out of that area, whereas everyone else who looked like everyone else kind of had that pressure to fit in and and I didn't. So that definitely, and also combined with the fact that I was just a very curious child. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how long did you stay, stayed in England? Um, Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't leave England till like 2003. So I was there Mm -hmm. for a really long time. And, you know, uh, I think I left Thamesmead in, maybe like 1999 or 2000 yeah. and, uh, you know, live with some friends in, in East London while I was at St. Martin's. And then eventually in 2003, I escaped and went to Japan. Wow. And did you go to, did you go to art school at all? Yeah, I went to, yeah, I went to central St. Martin's, which, you know, Oh, that's, that's an art school. Yeah. I got it. Um, and then you went to, then you moved to Tokyo and what spurred that? So, I guess long story short, you know, at, at St. Central St. Martins, it's quite a famous school. So there's a lot of uh, students from all over the world there and especially Japan. So I made friends with Japanese, um, with the Japanese kids. Yeah. And, you know, I was that kid that hung out with all the Japanese kids and got interested in Japanese culture and mm. animation and art and history. And um, I, I went and visited Japan and Tokyo a couple of times. And... Um, you know, just when I was uh, graduating, you know, you gra- you start to graduate from art school and you're like, great, I'm going to be unemployed, <laughs> you know. So um, so I was like, well, rather than being unemployed, maybe I'll just move to Japan and teach English for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So what was the, uh, did you have any sort of vision for becoming an artist at that time or is this kind of something that evolved? Not really, you know, oh. I, th- I think, um, you know, the only guidance I had growing up was kind of, what I couldn't do. You know, people tell you, you can't do this or you can't do that. So you say, oh, well, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to do. So just kind of naturally having a bit of a defiant nature um, and wanting to prove people wrong and not really having any expectations or things that people were like, oh, you could do this or you should do this. It was just more like, oh, well, don't apply for art school because you won't get in or don't do this because that won't happen. And so I use that as kind of like a guiding um, path to get to the next step Mm. um i didn't know you could be an artist i didn't know that was something that really existed so it wasn't something that i you know was a goal or was a dream of mine i just didn't know it existed kind of evolved yeah yeah so when you moved to japan when you started to realize that that's what you could do and what you wanted to do what was kind of that time like did you was there a struggle of how do i do my art and also make money to live kind of thing you know, it, it, it depends. So all through school, you know, I had part-time jobs. I, have, I either worked in um, 
camera stores or sneaker stores, mm. which was quite funny. Um, and then, like I said, I graduated from art school. I went to Japan. I was teaching English at that time. And actually for about a year, maybe a little bit less, I just stopped drawing. I just I kind of had this um, barrier where I, was, I just thought, well, there's so many people out there in the world that draw and do it really well or create or paint do it really well you know what gives me the right to think that i can do that yeah and it, it took a really long time for me to realize that oh wait if i do that thing that i really naturally like to do then i'm going to do it and it's going to be mine and it doesn't matter if other people do it and they do it to a really high standard what they can't do is they can't do me and mm. and it sounds quite simple but it, you actually really have to believe that and understand that um to actually start to act on that and and create so kind of being in japan and and through a series of you know people that i met i i started to um draw again and then i ended up kind of starting to perform yeah. uh, and perform my drawings oh. and that was that was through tokyo i remember seeing some of a little bit of it on your presentation at summit and how did that transpire into what you're doing now with the line drawings and, and cool. so, you know, I, I basically ended up starting my career in Japan because I finished art school. I moved to Tokyo and I accidentally started to create a career as a VJ, a visual jockey. Oh. And what that means is I was doing live drawn or digital drawings to DJs, dancers, musicians and the first time this happened, you know, a friend saw that I was drawing and said, oh, Chantel, like, I love your drawing. You know, can you draw at this event I'm doing? You know, there's a band playing and then you do live drawing on the canvas or something like that. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. But my drawings are really, really small right now. So I don't know if I'd feel comfortable about drawing on the canvas. So what if I draw under a camcorder and then we project that onto the band? Mm. And I did that. And I kind of, for the first time, was like, wow, like, this is amazing. I'm a performer because what happened is that I discovered that when you put yourself in a position where there's an audience watching you, you have this pressure to do something mm -hmm. and there's no time for you to think, plan or hesitate because if you do any of those things and there's nothing happening on the screen and the audience isn't going to wait around for you. And what I realized that that does is it puts you in a position where you can, you're super vulnerable and you're super honest because in that position, you don't have time to be anyone else. You don't have time to uh, let these insecurities sink in. You don't have time to overplan things and it not really be uh, as you as it should be or could be. Yeah. So in those positions or in that environment, you know, you do that and you repeat that and you repeat that. And at the end, you start to piece these past performances together and you start to see what you look like you know yeah. you start to see these recurring words or characters or phrases and so i did that for a long time and kind of that you know that involved from more of a pen paper under a camcorder into me using a computer and drawing tablet and computer software and connecting that to projections and that was super fun and that really helped me build up this practice of of working spontaneously and intuitively but also helped me to work out this practice of having a process of, of doing that. Then I moved to New York after five years in Japan and uh, none of that existed here. You yeah. know, I, I remember trying to go to a club and be like, oh, you know, do you have a projector? And they're like, a projector? You know, that's a fire hazard. Um, <laughs> then we have some soaring in the background. But, um, you know, and... So what happened is I ended up de-evolving, you know, I um, started to pick up pens again and started to draw on walls and cars mm. and people's and shoes and clothes. And, and this happened almost out of a necessity that in the sense that the digital stuff I was doing didn't exist here. Right. Now, let's go back a little bit and unpack something because I'm curious of how, you know, when you're doing the live drawings and you, you're just kind of going for it. How much of you, like when you're creating on the fly or, or in front of people, are you operating from a, a default perspective versus creating something new for yourself? Yeah. So what do you mean by like a default? You know, because I, I run I run into this with photography actually is like there's a set of 
there's a way I have natural ways that I do and like kind of my style, what I'm doing. And I can, I kind of tend to do, I'll do the same things. It's like kind of what's come natural to me, mm-hmm. what I've, what I've gotten used to and created a kind of a default mode of operation. Cool. Um, so, so with my drawing, especially when I'm drawing live, you know, you, you know, imagine like an alphabet, you know, you could say the alphabet is default, you know, you have 26 characters there yeah. and, but you can put them into any combination that you like and they're going to create something new. It's, it's like the drawing. You have the, you know, within you, you have the set of characters and words and lines and perhaps angles and spaces and all these things that you might use. But the way that they unfold for me is, is inspired or directed by the space or the environment or the people around me. And, you know, for example, if I'm drawing on the wall or if I'm drawing on the canvas and suddenly, uh, you know, it goes over a bump or it takes me a different way. You know, I couldn't have planned that, but you have to go with it and you have to flow with it. Or, um, you know, if there's a certain type of music playing in a space, you know, that really affects the drawing and where the line goes. And it's not something you can initially plan. So you can go in kind of armed in a way with, you know, the language that you've developed, but the way that it unfolds is completely different. And Mm. I liken my first line that I create to DNA, you know, and that yeah. DNA is really inspired by the energy in the space, by the audience, by the conversations I previously had, by the music that's playing. And then from that DNA, you know, you, you're, you're left with these forms, with these shapes, with these negative spaces, and then they will form the complete picture. And it's quite interesting in a way, you know, most of my drawings are made up of 80% space. So yeah. I'm only really at any time covering 10% of a canvas, which means 80% of it is just all about space and that negative space. Wow. So, and then, yeah, so it sounds like you have what you do and then like you use the environment, especially like whether it's a chair or a table or an airplane, a model airplane over here. Um, it'd be cool to see you actually do a, a real airplane one day. It's on my list of things to do. So yes. if you know someone. <laughs> Maybe we'll. Let's, let's figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be great. Um, where do you see your work evolving to? I mean, you know, you, you have what you do now. Do you ever see doing things in different colors or experimenting with color? I know you love black and white and there's a, there's a reason for that. Maybe you can share that with us, but do you, what do you, where do you see your work kind of moving to? So I've always been experimenting and I'm a strong believer in kind of allowing yourself to progress and allowing yourself to evolve and allowing yourself to change, but also not forcing that at the same time. Mm. Um, You know, just being at my residency in at Autodesk in San Francisco for the last four months, I really experimented there. You know, I was in an environment where they have where I had access to all these machines that I would never have access to normally. And. What I did there is I, I, I started to think, well, I'm really comfortable with a line, you know, a single line. Mm-hmm. Me and this line are really good friends. We're really familiar with each other. We have a lot of control, a lot of trust, a lot of uh, familiarity. But what if I take this line and I multiply it and now I'm drawing with two lines or five lines or ten lines? Mm-hmm. Or what if I take this line and I start to draw with multiple thicknesses of lines at the same time? Yeah. And it's kind of the most simple thing I can do you know, go from one line to two line that's going to have the biggest profound change on my output. So I created a series of tools, which, you know, there's seven of them in total, and each of them allows me to draw in a new way. Mm. And what's happened with that is when I start to draw with them, my brain is like, whoa, like what's happening? Because it's it's got so used to this this single line that I'm very comfortable with now. And then now it's it's forced to deal with these different lines that give the line a a complete different feeling and a complete different sense of motion. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about me doing that is like when I'm drawing, I'm like, wow, um, you know, these marks or these characters or these faces that I usually do with one line don't work with two lines Mm -hmm. or they don't work with this one pen that has like six lines. And I'm being forced to discover what does work. And, and, and that in its sense, like helps to push me. Um, I also, you know, started testing out more 3D design stuff. Uh, last year I was a visiting artist at MIT Media Lab and I got to kind of create circuit boards and, and mess with some coding and things like that. So yeah. one thing I'm doing is always experimenting and always progressing. But 
a lot of the time people only see uh, one kind of art that I'm creating uh, and that's because that art is bigger and bolder and, 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 and visually easier to see than the rest of it, which might need to take some of your time and attention. Mm, gotcha. So how is the creative process in, in terms of like, once you start experimenting with this, when do you start showing it? When do you start kind of getting it out there in the world? It depends. Like a lot of the time it doesn't get out there um, or it does, but just in certain communities. So for example, for a few years now, I've been collaborating with a friend and very talented um, person, Zach Lieberman. And mm. we've been doing many different collaborations with drawing and code. And people within that community have seen that. Mm. But people, you know, within kind of maybe the visual art world or the fashion world haven't seen that. You yeah. know, I've been doing projects for a long time. Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with objects and the sentimental value that we give objects. So I have projects where... You know, I've, I've collected objects from people and they've told me stories about them uh, or I've collected stories about objects that they have, you know, kind of some sentimental value to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you were look at, if you were to look at those, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's Chantel Martin's work. Unless, you know, you know me from somewhere like at MIT where, um, I was kind of doing, um, those more, those projects more often, uh, or even, uh, when I was, you know, I've been collaborating with my grandmother for 10 years and, and it was interesting because we showed that collection at the Brooklyn Museum, mm. I think at the end of last year. And people didn't necessarily know that that was my work because they're, they're used to seeing one type of it, but it doesn't mean that that's all there is. So, yeah. so there's kind of like, there's lots of different streams of my work and it just depends on where you are. And, and how deep you go, like how much of it you, you get exposed to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do you, how are you making money with art at this point? And how did that kind of evolve when, you know, like, I mean, especially a lot of people listening to this podcast, like, how do I even like start to make money with, with my, with what I'm doing? And, you know, with art, uh, and especially as most artists, unless you're coming from, you know, quite a nice privileged background for a lot of the time, you, maybe you don't make money. Um, and you get very good at kind of bartering or, um, you get very good at kind of, uh, living on a shoestring, but eventually you start to, um, fill, fill the world out and you start to kind of, you know, you're grabbing at everything and then some things start to pull and, uh, eventually you'll start to realize that you can make money in some areas and not other areas and, um, or it's, or some, sometimes it's just kind of more accidental and I think for a lot of us that haven't come down one of these very narrow paths that kind of inject you into, you know, the, the gallery system or, you know, this kind of art world that is already there, we have to create our own models and those models don't exist really. So yeah. there's not, you know, we can't be like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not an artist that is showing with like one of these X galleries that will then do X, Y, Z for me and, and will control my art career for the rest of my life. So I need to go to this other model that doesn't exist. So what does that look like? And for me, it's been a mixture of, you know, uh, working with institutions like Columbia, MIT, NYU. It's been doing stuff with museums, like having um, a solo museum show or doing a live performance at a museum or uh, doing an installation at a museum. For me, it's been doing war commissions. You know, those war commissions are um, in a mixture of um, private uh, to museums to, uh, to companies. And, and then also on top of that kind of lecturing and teaching. So the, the kind of crazy thing about that is when you start to think about it, it's like, oh, okay, so you're an artist, but you're not actually making work from selling your art. You know, you're making work from installations and experience. Mm. And I think that's definitely something that we're, we're moving more towards. You know, I think there is more opportunity to sell experience versus art. And that's not to say there isn't um, space to sell art. People will want to own art at some point, but there are lots of opportunities around selling your experience as an artist and, and inviting people into your space. That's very interesting. What kind of experiences are you doing these days? So, uh, you know, for example, a lot of live drawing, you know, yeah. so a lot of uh, live drawing over a period of time where people can come in, they'll talk to me, uh, workshops where I'm kind of guiding people how to find their way in life. 
installations where people can come in and tell me who they are without saying what they do or where they're from. Yeah. So these kind of projects like that. Yeah. Your work has a very introspective side to it as well. Where does, where does that come from? I've been questioning, like I said, since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a little bit suspicious and a little bit curious about how the world works. And I've also also been really curious about how people think and why they think the things that they do and, mm. and curious about if those things have been imprinted or if they've kind of been picked up along the way. And, you know, we shouldn't believe anything that we believe. You know, we should always question those things and, and we should always question those, why we're questioning those questions and, 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 and continuing like that. And as an artist with, well, for myself and I'm sure many other artists, we're very fortunate enough that we have the space and this potential to question the world and ourselves and, and why we do what we do. Absolutely. What now the UBU, that's, that's your kind of quote or uh, mantra for your brand. Uh, where did that evolve from and how did you like kind of land on that? And then now you take it to, you know, you have stickers and you have pens and all this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a series of, of, um, of these words or phrases I like to use and they started with, the first one, which is, who are you? And I'd moved from, like I said, I'd moved from Tokyo to New York and I got to New York and I'm like, okay, I'm an artist. You know, I, sh- I should work with a gallery. I should do this. I should do that. And these things weren't working out. And people start to say, Chantel, you should try this. You should try that. Look at this person. Look at this person. Uh, maybe try this. Maybe try that. And, and what's happened is you start to get pushed and you start to get pulled and you start to believe that, oh, maybe I should try what this person's doing or maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that or maybe I shouldn't be me. Maybe I should, you know, do this and that. And and what happens is you start to lose yourself. So in that time when I just moved here, I, I kind of felt that. So I, I wrote out the question, who are you, who are you, who are you, who are you, who are you? And I put it on the back of my bedroom door at the time. So before I even left my bedroom, before I'd even left the house, I'm consciously or unconsciously seeing this phrase and questioning, you know, Chantel, are you being you? Are you being true? Are you on that right path? And the more that I saw this, the more I started to understand that, wow, it's not really about who you are. It's simply about those first three letters, which are W-A-Y, way. You know, we're all trying to find our way in life. I'm trying to find my way in life through this language of words and lines and characters and sharing that and you're trying to find your way perhaps through photography and and conversation and 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 art and many other things so we're all here trying to find our way but where are we trying to find our way to and then the second phrase is you are you and the first three letters of that are yay so it's quite (laughs) simple you know it's it's we like to really overcomplicate these things but it's just not that complicated you know we're simply here on this planet and you know, let me just say that the fact that we all exist here is incredible and amazing because, you know, for you to exist here, people had to exist before you and before them and before them and, and kind of, you know, forever on. So the fact that you get to this place where you're like, yay, like you are you, it's a celebration of self. It's a, an understanding of, of, of who you are. But when you also get to this space of you are you, you're, you're kind of like, oh crap, because you realize that it's just the beginning. You know, there's still so much more learning and growing and understanding to be done. So you have to ask that original question in a new way or in new ways. And then that's where the phrase are you, you comes around because it's, you're, you're going back to that question of who are you, but you're asking it in a different way. So the philosophy kind of came about of, you know, you're trying to find your way to yay. And yeah. when you get there, you have to start again. I love that. That is so great. Have you found, I mean, do you feel like you've defined more of who you are through this process or is it still that question of just like heading towards the yay? And that's the thing, you know, you can find out who you are and you can be happy with that, but then you start again and, you know, you, and through that process, you, you shared and you uh, experiment and you relearn and you uh, reconsider and, but, just through the fact that you can ask these questions and continuously ask these questions and the fact that I ask other people these questions helps me to also ask myself these questions. You know, the fact is just that the more that you do this, the more, um, you know, someone told me last night this concept of falling upwards and that kind of really resonated with me. You know, the more that you focus on on this path of, of being a better version of yourself, 
you know, less angry, more compassionate. You try and be that person that picks up litter. You, you know, you're going to be less, um, less selfish. You're going to try and be kinder, happier. You're going to try and eat better and drink better and think better and, and, and be more positive. The more that you do these things, you, you know, you're kind of on this upward fall. And, and even when you might get to a place again where you don't like yourself, you're still on that tumble upwards. So um, you can always improve and, and you can always start to shed and you can always start to refine and you can always um, like keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you're almost getting that momentum moving forward and, and the more you keep moving forward, the more it, it kind of like snowballs. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I definitely think your art the, your process really resembles the, that journey and, and ex- exploration. It's, it's so cool to see. It's so cool to see. And I've, I've, I've loved it since the time we, we met and I've seen everything that you've done. It's, it's been so inspiring. Um, where is, what kind of struggles do you go through on a, like mentally, like through like this journey? Because I know for me, it's, it's so up and down and things are, you know, there's worries and fears and then excitements and like, it's up and down. What are, what are your challenges? I think quite lucky enough, I'm I'm pretty chilled and consistent as a person. You know, I don't get crazy excited or crazy crazily unexcited about things. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I think as my personality, I'm I'm kind of always somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I do have these moments where you know i'll call a friend and i'll just be like i don't know why i'm doing all this and i don't know what it means and i don't know what the point is and in those moments i you know you uh, you start to say no a lot more you know because people will be like oh you want to do this project and it's like it's all this money and it's uh it's gonna do this and it's this technology and blah 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 and you kind of ask like why but what's the point is it going to change me or the world and they say, well, yeah, maybe, but no. And so I think in these moments where I'm really questioning, like, what is the point? Because at some point we die, right? And we create all this, all this stuff that maybe we hold on to as artists or maybe we let go of. Um, but then what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. And, and the point is maybe you try and change something along that way. But if you can't see clearly what you're changing, then it, it, it can be quite scary and difficult. Mm, mm. That's great. I mean, do you feel like you have a purpose as, as an artist? So the kind of the number one effect or uh, reaction I get to my work is people look at it and they smile. Mm. And, and, you know, I love when I do these installations, you know, uh, at the end of it, I'm friends with the plumber or the security guys or the curators or the, uh, the staff or the people that came because, you know, they felt something from the work. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, just that moment of sharing, uh, or my work sharing its energy with other people and, and just simply pulling out smiles from them i'm like wow like that's amazing you know that's better than ticking any of these boxes that you know make other people feel good or are kind of like uh accolades or whatever like the fact that you can get uh, a simple smile from a stranger is pretty incredible yeah absolutely i think that's the biggest thing is um like a resonance that a creative resonance that you feel especially when other people see what you're up to and and appreciate what you do and somehow you feel like you've left a mark on that person or you've, you've left them feeling better in life. I think that's very important. Very important. What is the, uh, you know, you've got this book out now that you just dropped. Can you give us a little, tell us a little bit more about the book and where, you know, what spurred it and what, what it's all about? Also, I just released a book uh, this month, last month. I'm not sure where we are in a year <laughs> and it's titled wave. And, you know, this idea, I I think I named it wave because, you know, we can, like I say, sometimes things are up and sometimes things are down. And this concept of wave is, is, is understanding that when they're up, you know, you, you ride that wave as high as you can. And when they're down, you use that time to regroup and refocus and relax. And so you kind of create this nice balance and you understand that there will be an up and then there will be a down. Mm -hmm. But the idea is kind of, um, 
grasping that and taking advantage of that and, and not resisting the downs and not resisting the ups and kind of going with it as much as possible. So the book itself folds out almost like a wave itself. It folds out into a nine foot accordion no way. book. And it's, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, it's like an adult coloring in book. You know, I think you have to say adult because adults need uh, encouragement to color in. Color in. Um, <laughs> not so much now. It's kind of very on trend. But, you know, the, the concept is that, you know, you pull out this wave and it will keep your attention for a long time. And the drawing itself is much more detailed than the work that you might have seen or be familiar with mine at the moment because it's a drawing that I did in Japan. And the drawing is actually kind of one of my visual diaries. So my visual diaries in Japan were these accordion fold-out books, which I would keep in my pocket. And they would be a mixture of like thoughts and dreams and ideas and people I met and things that I saw. And so that's what we use for this. We, we took one of those diaries and we kind of reused it or uh, reformed it to become this coloring in book. Yeah. So for me, I look back and I really enjoy it because it is full of these kind of detailed moments from my time in Japan. Yeah. And um, it's a nice kind of contrast to what I do now, which is it's more minimal in a way. But then the fact that people will bring and add their own color to the book is pretty incredible. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny that you say, uh, talk about the wave cause it's, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but I know if sometimes when you get going up and then you come back down, it's a little, it's, it's tough to kind of go through the, what you were used to before and how have you handled that yourself on the ups and the downs of the waves? You know, there, there is that uncertainty and, and with that comes the unexpected and, and with that, the feeling of, uh, potentially being uncomfortable or vulnerable because you just don't know. And for me, you know, when you're, when you're on a down, you kind of think about those moments where, okay, well, what was I doing one year ago or two years ago or four years ago or five years ago? Like, wow, so much has changed then. And you have to understand, well, I, I might be in this position now, but so much will change six months, one year, two years, three years from now. Yeah. And I'll be a different person, but I'll be a better version of myself than I am now. Yeah. And so I kind of think in that way and, you know, I, I tell myself all the time, you know, you're in the right place at the right time. So if this thing is happening, mm. you know, you just, you got to tackle it and one foot in front of the other. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, sometimes with that uncertainty, it's hard to always believe that it's gonna, Everything's going to be okay. Or you are where you are, where you are, you are where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good reminder uh, for people to know that, to know that wherever you are in your journey, like it's, it's where you're meant to be and, and to be able to see forward and, and, uh, but stay present at the same time. And that's, that's something that's, that's a a, a practice, I think, I think. What kind of things do you explore mentally uh, now versus when you first started? Uh, what do you mean by like mentally Just perspectives, like, per, like the way, you know, like we talked about, you know, you being you and you had all these questions when you first started, have the, how have those questions for yourself evolved to where you're at now in your creative journey? It's, it's interesting because I, I'll look at some older work and I'm like, oh wow, I'm still asking those same questions. So, you know, there's certain questions that are there at core and I, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of, um, you know, what progress means as, mm. as human beings, you know, because if you read literature or you watch these old movies and you're like, wow, we're still as people having these same struggles with relationships and with, uh, tribes or racism or with, you know, kind of countries and, you know, does progress really exist or are we just changing the scenery? And, uh, so I kind of think a lot about that or just that the way that we exist in the world as, as men or women, um, or people in between and, and we don't question the, the roles that we play, uh, because there's like a, you know, an, a construct of reality that has been applied to us, which we can't really see through or are unaware of because it's been there for so long. So I think about those things and I also think about my work and what that means. You know, I essentially, I draw lines, but what do the lines mean? You know, is there a relationship between all the lines that I draw? Um, if I create a drawing 
how long is that combined amount of line and how fast did I do the drawing and what's the percentage between large space and small space and and what angles are in my drawings and what's not in my drawing and and so I I've become really curious about the drawings themselves as yeah. as pieces and the information that they have kind of conceptually or um computationally and kind of how they're made up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you have that take of almost metrics to what you're doing now artistically. I think that's a different approach than a lot of artists like, you know, but you have that creative flow, but then you're also kind of breaking it down. It's so fascinating. And and I know you're very, you have that side of you, the thoughtful side and, and more process oriented side of you. And, and where did that come from? And I mean, it seems like it's influencing your art quite a bit. You live with your art a lot, you know, it's with you all the time and you're creating it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, I think if you're naturally curious, you want to know where it's coming from and what it means and why mm-hmm. it is the way that it is. And for someone that's very much like head to hand, you know, there aren't all these layers of thoughts, which, um, or there aren't all these layers of hesitation or planning in between um, what I'm thinking or what I'm unthinking and what I'm doing. And so with that comes a, a sense of wonder and curiosity because, yeah. hey, like I'm basically just moving and through this movement, these marks are made. But these marks have a particular style and these marks are recognizable and these marks are um, a language and these marks are, you know, in themselves, their own confident thing yeah so what do they mean and where do they come from i don't know yeah because you're i mean when you're in the moment you're just drawing you're not even thinking about it it's just kind of like coming to you in, in sort of a flow type of way and then you get to go back and break that down yeah and you get to be like wow who are you you know i don't know <laughs> that's fascinating because isn't that what you did with the uh the coder guy you created a, a program based off of you can tell us more about it, but based off the the distance of the lines and it was statistics and different things like that. Uh, I'm not sure which. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was you was in your presentation at Summit, um, and you were talking yeah. about. Um, We've done, you know, I've done a lot of experiments with with line and kind of the different characteristics of lines. Uh, so, for example, you know, what happens if a line becomes more and more random over time, or what if a line never ended and was continuously drawing itself or whatever line kind of, um, you know, was connected to sound or, or what if a line tried to catch up with another line or, you know, so just, or what if a line had spring to it, you know, um, or what if you could kind of wind up a line and then let it unspring or unfold. So um, I've, I've, I've done these kind of experiments um, or collaborated with these experiments where we're looking at, you know, specific characteristics of a line. Mm, mm. Now, did you do, I'm trying to remember this thing and you, it was basically like it would, you measured out the line and the distance based off, and, and it was related to, um, a certain, certain statistics. So it drew the line out further. Am uh, I, am you, I totally you, making this up? You or? might be referring to, I, um, I did a project at, when I was in social computing, a lab that's at MIT media lab. And, um, we were looking at lots of maps and I started to realize that these maps weren't really tangible. You know, these maps or these graphs were full of lots of numbers. And I started to think about, well, what if you could feel the data? What if you could draw the data? What if the data became tangible? So for the first kind of iteration of that, uh, I looked at street lamps in cities. So for example, you'd put up this kind of site, a website, and on the left-hand side, you could uh, select a city so for example Cambridge mm-hmm. and then it would give you every single street name in Cambridge and tell you how long they were yeah and it would order them in the longest to the shortest and then on the right hand side you have a drawing canvas so you start to draw and it picks up that first street that longest street mm-hmm. and it assigns it a random color and then now you can draw with that street or the ink of that street until it runs out. And then uh, when it runs out, it jumps into the next street, into the next street, into the next street. And when you've completed that drawing and you've drawn with, you know, 707 streets that are in Cambridge, you know that that complete drawing is the equivalent to, you know, the total amount of street length in Cambridge. Yeah. Now imagine that you use a different data set. So for, 
example, use like government spending or, or something <laughs> like that. You know, that first line, you can probably imagine what it is. And it goes on for a really, really, really long time. And you have this like one color. And then like, you know, by the time you get to like education or healthcare or something <laughs> like that, you just got like beep, 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 beep. Um, you know, these like very short dots of color. And so what happens is, you know, at the end of it, you you know what this drawing represents. But what's happened is that you've also felt the drawing and felt mm -hmm. the data and, and, and have experienced it. And experience this contrast between the, the longest and the shortest or the most expensive and, and the least expensive. And I feel like for me, uh, that was a project that helped me understand data yeah. versus me just looking at it. Yeah, that's the exact project I was talking about. It sounds so fascinating. It's like, and it re does really correlate the, the data to your mind because it, it, it puts that in... It, it like you feel it you yeah. feel it you feel it when it when it you changes it. and you're like oh i get it it's the whole experience thing i i think is uh, when you experience things it's a whole different connection than when you're reading it out of a book or or something like that exactly yeah do you feel like it's it's necessary to go to to college to be to become an artist <laughs> <laughs> the the age-old question you know it depends like you meet really good people there I don't know if they teach you much. Um, <laughs> it's it. It really depends. If if I were young again and considering to go to college as a creative person, I would also consider taking that money that I would spend on college and starting my own studio. Mm. Uh, I would consider taking that money and kind of using it to learn from people in the field, um, because for me. Someone that went to a school like St. Martin's, which is more of a conceptual school, you know, we didn't have studio space. We didn't have a locker. You know, we'd go in, we'd get a brief, we'd go away for two weeks, we'd turn up, we'd present our projects, that's it. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like if you go to a school like the Slade or somewhere like that where they actually teach you skills. All that we got it was a school with a good rep name and reputation and, like, we met, you know, a bunch of good friends. Right. So, you know, the amount of debt that it does get you in I would really highly consider like, A, is this really what I want to do? And then B, like, if I was to take that money and get some advice on how to start up my own thing, what would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that takes definitely some discipline to do. Yeah. Especially at a young age, I feel like. I mean, when you're experimenting and trying to figure out your life and you're young, you don't know, like money is like a almost a... Yeah. But you know, you know you're young and you have access to everything because, you know, when I was at school, it wasn't you know, we had the internet, but no one really used it. Uh, at least now you can, you can go to like something like Skillshare and take a class with like Jeff Staple about being an entrepreneur or how to start a t-shirt business. Or, um, you can go to, you know, download a kind of online book about, you know, the business of art or find out about contracts and grants and all these things online. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, there's a lot more exposure and how to's yeah two things um and i think people are also more aware that you know making art or being an artist or being a designer or being a creative isn't just about the creative stuff mm -hmm. it's about being organized it's about being sociable it's about um planning ahead it's about getting the right support it's about getting advice it's it's yeah. about many different things how do you manage that side of your business i mean because your business now you know you making money with what you do. But where do you learn? Where do you, how do you get all that other stuff done? Yeah. So I, I've always struggled with this idea of like growing and delegating. So my, my business or my team is pretty small and it's me and my lawyer pretty much, <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, and, and then occasionally I'll have someone that helps me more on the admin side with regards to emails and following yeah. up and negotiating. Yeah. But, you know, I think as an artist, your first investment should be someone that's kind of pretty, pretty good at reading contracts mm. because, uh, you know, everyone out there will tell you this is a standard contract that you should sign. And you know what? There's really no such thing as a standard contract because yeah. a standard contract is going to have a load of stuff in there that doesn't even relate to you. Mm -hmm. And and all that stuff that's in there that doesn't even relate or isn't even relevant to the current project that you're working on is stuff that basically takes away your rights as an artist. So wow. I think 
the, you know, my first investment was a lawyer and you, for a lot of us, we learn the hard way, you know, yeah. you, you make these mistakes or you do these things that you're unaware of because you're not taught them in school and you, and no one's really told you that as an artist, everyone will take advantage of you and everyone will try and get stuff for free and everyone will try and not pay you and everyone will make you try and sign a standard contract. And so I think just understanding that, okay, well, why do contracts exist? They exist to protect mm. companies. Okay, so, or they exist to protect people. So why should I not protect myself? Yeah. And 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 take these seriously and 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 learn how to read them myself or pay someone else to do that. Yeah. What are some things to, that artists should look out for in contracts that you've seen that are like big red flags? You know, the the first and, and probably the most common is like a work for hire. You mm -hmm. know, if you sign a work for hire contract, I think a lot of artists don't realize that they're actually like signing their kind of, um, that kind of rights away to whatever they're working on. And it can be used for impaturity, like on everything and everything for a while. And, and I've done some projects where, you know, that there's stuff in the contract where it's like, well, you will never work on anything egg-shaped again, or you will never work on anything, wow. you know, uh, that resembles X, Y, Z. And you're like, why is that even in here? It's like, it doesn't even relate to this project. And, you know, and stuff for pay, you know, payment, you know, we revert, you know, we may pay you in 90 days from the last day of the month after we receive your invoice. So, if, you know, and it's just, <laughs> which basically, you know, it, it just works out so you don't get paid for like six months or something like that. Yeah. So um, just lots of little things like that. And how that goes. Have you, I mean, you know, that's a big thing in photography is contracts like that or, you know, work for hires, especially something that we, you know, you don't want to sign a contract like that. And if you do run away, if somebody gives that to you and they won't budge, run away. But how does that come into play with, say, like a mural that you do that's commissioned by somebody? I mean, are you talking, is it kind of more of like, are they going to like photograph it and use it in other places kind of thing? Or Well, the thing is, you know, you do a mural somewhere, uh, you're you're selling them the the mural, you know, you're not selling them the rights to use that commercially or as a backdrop or to take it and print it on product. Um, so, you know, you need to just kind of lay out what it is that they're getting. You yeah. know, you're getting this mural, you're getting this wall drawing and that's it. You know, you're not getting something that you can use for product or merchandising or for, um, Kind of marketing yeah it's not what it is yeah yeah that's great advice i mean i never would have thought that would could be the case but then now you think about it you're like oh yeah they could just take a photo and make shirts and then sell shirts and make money off of that yeah and that's not that's not cool i mean you would need to that would be a separate negotiation and then you also you know you have to kind of as an artist a lot of us we're not big enough to try and fight everything so you know i've seen a couple lines of my stuff in china you know it's Chinese people uh, yeah <laughs> well you know and it's just like they see something they like and they make it and it's out there and it's it's in department stores and it's on the street and you have to be like oh, okay well you know am I ready to tackle this right now or do I put my energy and effort somewhere else yeah I've had that happen where sometimes it's just like it's not even worth your time to like go after because yeah. what are you going to do and then sometimes you can just write them a nice email and be like hey you know this is my stuff this is when it first published you know here's a picture of it from online from that day uh, I just noticed that you printed this t-shirt it has my stuff on it or it's too similar to not be my stuff and just want us to say, hey, heads up, like, could you take it down? Yeah. And, and a couple of times that's happened and people are like, all right, cool, I get it. And they've taken it down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell us your, um, your philosophy of, of rocking the boat and making ripples. I, huh. love, I love that story and philosophy. So I get asked a lot, you know, what was that one moment, you know, or who was that person that helped or made you successful? as an artist and you're like what like what do you mean and they're like you know there, there must have been a pivotal point in your career right and I say no and then I give them this analogy and the analogy is that you know I'm in this little green robot rowboat so I get in my little green rowboat and I row to the center of this gigantic lake and when I get there I put down an anchor and then I pull in the oars and then I stand up. And once I've stood up in this boat, I start rocking. 
and I start rocking and rocking and rocking and rocking and working and working and working and working and rocking and rocking and rocking and rocking. And what happens is these ripples start to appear and these ripples get bigger and bigger and they move further and further away from me and they kind of disappear and and I kind of understand that they're reaching further out till they reach the end or the edge of this lake. Then they come back to me and they come back to me in the forms of press and jobs and opportunities and collaborations mm. and all these things. The thing is, if I stop rocking, if I stop working, what happens? The ripples disappear. So there isn't a pivotal point or person in my career. It's the fact that you just never, never stop. Mm. You keep working and you keep rocking and you keep creating and you keep drawing and you keep improving and you keep trying to be better and you keep trying to improve and be a better version of yourself. And, and these things you know, kind of come back as, as all these things in different forms. Mm, that's great. That's great. So what advice would you give to people that are like struggling in that to keep creating? You know, the, I guess the advice I give, you know, sometimes it changes, um, but it's usually don't wait for anyone. You mm. know, it's very tempting to wait and be like, if I had a studio, I'd do this. Or when I have money, I'd do this. Or when that one person comes along, I'll do this. And if I had this, I would do this. And if I had that, I'd do this. Like, forget that. What do you have? Mm -hmm. Work with that. You know, you yeah. have friends, show your friends your work. You know, you know, the guy at the local coffee shop, like make friends with him, like show your work there. Uh, you have access to pens and paints, like make stuff with them. You have a bedroom, make stuff in your bedroom. <laughs> you know, you, you go to school, then ask your school if you can do something there. You know, use what you have access to. Don't wait for anyone. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the uh, hardest part is pushing through the excuses. Yeah. But it's that's great advice. How do you think technology is benefiting and also hindering the world of art? Uh, I don't know if I would say it's hindering. You know, it, it makes us a lot more distracted and it takes time away. You know, I, yeah. if you, you, you watch documentaries about these older artists and, you know, they show you their like shed or their studio that they had at the back of the house and they tell you that they used to go in there in the morning and come out at night. And you know what? They didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they didn't have someone ringing their cell phone or texting them or they didn't have to post on social media and they didn't have to catch something on TV at a certain time. And they didn't have to like go on online and check the news and the weather and all these other things. Like yeah. they, they had this luxury in this space where they could actually just go in and create. And yeah. so I think, you know, with technology, there's that sense of instant distraction. And for people like myself who are very easily distracted, we have to find ways of tricking ourselves to be uh, undistracted. Yeah, Absolutely. Do you think social media has helped further your career? Yeah, I, you know, the, the what are we trying to do? You know, why are we here? And for the most part, it's to share. Yeah. So if you can share your voice and you can share your message and there's a way of that being amplified or being shared to people that you don't have access to kind of physically, why not? You know, the, yeah. it's great. And I think it has helped share what I do with a, a bigger audience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One question I, I love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I would just say we're, we're just trying to live our lives. And we, I think when you find a place where you are honest with yourself and you find a place where you do what you love, mm. that naturally helps inspire yourself continually and mm. people around you. Absolutely. I love that. And where can we find you, follow you on on the World Wide Web? And all that good stuff. Well, you know, you can start with Instagram maybe. So Chantel underline Martin, S-H-A-N-T-E-L-L yeah. underscore Martin. Or, you know, websites are still out there. <laughs> <laughs> still out there. ChantelMartin.com, yeah. Absolutely. Instagram's probably the best because they can see visually what you're up to. Exactly. Absolutely. And... Are you on the Are you on the Snapchats or anything like that? No, I haven't gotten to Snapchat. <laughs> if you know someone at Snapchat, say uh, I tried it, but all my names were taken, and it just seemed weird to like be incognito on Snapchat. So if you know someone at Snapchat, 
say I want to be on there, but I'd like my name to kind of be my name. <laughs> that would be that would be proper. Yeah, that'd be proper. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I loved what we just talked about, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio, soon to be Neon Radio, with Chantel Martin. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you got some value out of it, I would love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review over on iTunes, sharing it out over on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever your favorite social media medium is. I'd love to see where you're listening to the episodes and being inspired. So tag me up on Instagram at Nick Onkin, hashtag Shop Talk Radio with your favorite episode. So with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out, create your life by creating every small moment. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>